you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9. Father, we're very thankful for your word. We're thankful for this morning, and we praise you that we have this opportunity. We look to you as our salvation, as our strength, as our hope, as our life, as our shield and defender, as our guide. And I ask, Father, that you would forgive us for not looking to you to be everything for us but instead looking to us and to, uh, and to flesh, which is weak, frail, and without power. Father, this morning help us and teach us and reveal to us yourself, your ways, and teach us and instruct us and admonish us and rebuke us and convict us so that we would be formed more into the image of your Son, for we ask it in his name. Amen. You ever watch those new Marvel comic movies? And if you don't have kids that are into it, you probably, if you're older, you're thinking, no, what are you talking about? Well, you know, the, the ones with all the superheroes in them, they've got uh, the superheroes of the comic days, you know, like Thor, Captain America, those kind of people. You ever watch those or ever, you know anything about them? Maybe at one time in your life you've, you've even read a comic. Maybe you read a comic. And one thing you'll notice in there, these people usually have one particular kind of power, and sometimes two. They have a power that allows them to do things that are just amazing, beyond what is ever thought of as normal, right? And often, if you watch these, sometimes it's fun to think about, hey, if I had a superpower, what would it be? We've actually asked that question around the table before. And asked about, you know, if you had a superpower, if you could have one, what would it be? What would you like to have? And thinking about that often can be fun. Because when you think about a superpower, it starts to allow you to think about things that you could do and accomplish that you can't ordinarily do and accomplish. And the thought of that seems like a pretty neat thing. And if you, it may, let's say you're not into comics and you're thinking, this is, that's just a goofy analogy, Dean. I don't know what you're talking about. Have you ever thought about being king for a day? Thought about being king with supreme and ultimate power. And you could, whatever you dictate, whatever you decide, whatever you determine is going to happen. Boy, just think about that. Just think, okay, you're now, you're the ultimate supreme king of America. Where would you start? Right? That could be a fun exercise to think of the power, the influence the ability to bring about change, the, bring, the ability to form the world into the image that you think it ought to be. Often that's what we're even trying to do in our own little tiny worlds. We're trying to form them into the image we think they ought to be. And we're met with all kinds of frustration, aren't we? Nothing seems to work out. Where's the power? Where's the influence? And we tend in this position of weakness, this position of frailty, we tend to think that power, that power is found in having ultimate control, dominance, authority, the ability to speak, and it happens. Yet, what's very fascinating is that, that sorry, God has given us a power that is in some ways supernatural. But it's not the kind of power, it's not the way, it's not the thing you typically think of when you think of power. 
God in his ways has done something marvelous. There's a tremendous, almost magical power that is available to everyone. But so few people ever use it because it's contrary to our flesh. It's contrary to what we think of when we think of power. You want to know what it is? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Love. Oh, come on, Dean. Nice one. Yeah, love. That's the right answer. That's like Jesus, God, love. It's right up there. But in reality, you know, the practice of love almost has superhuman powers. And you know what? If a husband knew its power, he would give his life to its mastery. If employers knew its power, he or she would study nothing else. If a teen knew its power, they would want to become a master of it. But like so many of God's gifts and the things that he gives, we can't see it. It seems to us so many, so many times like weakness. We think power is raw force. We think, we think it's superhuman strength. It's the ability to do that thing that, that allows you to subject everybody under you. And in, in having that, that is indeed power. What I need is authority. What I need to be able to do is say jump, and everyone jumps. That's what I need. But here's the deal. When you love someone, and you clearly communicate that through the words that you speak, and through the actions that you, that you take, and that the actions you don't take, And that person understands and experiences love coming from you. Do you realize that person often opens their heart up to you? And now all of a sudden you have influence and power in their lives like nobody else. Convince somebody that you love them and that you're trustworthy and that they open themselves to you. And that person has just given you power that is beyond sometimes imagination. It truly is. We believe that if we want to get something done, we need to force it, jam it, bash it, and scream at it. Yet this is the way of power, and it's the wisdom of the world, not the wisdom of God. Jesus came as a humble servant. Nobody recognized him. Lowly servant, had nowhere to lay his head. Homeless, in a lot of ways. What he came in, what did he do? He served, he blessed, he gave, he, ma- he sacrificed, he ministered, he laid down his life for his people. And yet, it was th- by this that he overcame the world. Jesus came to be a conquering king, right? And he came to do this in a way that just the world doesn't understand. We can't, we look at it and we scratch our heads and we, it doesn't make any sense. Because he overcomes the world. He overcomes the evil one. He overcomes the devil and all evil by laying down his life as a sacrifice for others. So by and through love, he overcomes the world. But our flesh, the world, finds love soft and not having 
verbose power. Yet the one who has the most influence in the room is the one who confidently loves the most. And this series has been about the practical details of how it is we love one another. And through this, Jesus is revealing to us the power to overcoming the world. The power to really making an impact. Jesus even said, you know, Jesus is not against power, influence, and greatness. What did he tell his disciples? You want to be great? Do you want to be great? Let me let you into something. Let me let you appear into the secret realm. That the wisdom, this is not the wisdom of the world, it's the wisdom of God. And what does he say? He who is, is the least, he is the servant of all will be the greatest of all. The greatest servant will be the greatest. Like, what? But you know when he said that, he said that to a bunch of guys who are clutching and gripping for power. His disciples. Can I sit at your right hand? He didn't he didn't rebuke them, notice that. He didn't rebuke them for saying, Yeah, no, 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 that's a bad motive, fellas. You shouldn't desire to be powerful. You shouldn't desire to have influence. You, shouldn't, you should truly just desire to wipe feet. That's it. Be dis, the pure desire to be lowly. That's, they would have gone, that's, that's great, Jesus, but man, I, I, don't, uh, I don't have any of that desire. Just being honest. And Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, if you do want to be great, if you do want to be exalted, if you do want to have power, I'll show you the way, but it's going to blow your mind. What? Become the least. Become a servant. Become somebody who knows what it means to love. And that love fleshes itself out in the details. This morning, we're going to look at hospitality. Be hospitable to one another. And like the other aspects of loving one another, it has a hidden power that our flesh does not see. It has a a power that often gets missed. And sometimes all we see is the sacrifice. All we see is the service. All we see is what we have to do. But please, people, let's get this and let's understand it's the way of love. And the way of love is the way of power. And only the wise in whom God has opened the eyes are able to see and understand this and go after it. The the fool continues to go after the ways of the world. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, It's interesting how this text is set up. It really is. It begins by saying, above all. Above everything else. It means it's chief. It's it's higher than anything else. Above it all. Keep loving one another earnestly. Which, once again, stresses the centrality of love. It's the chief thing. It's the main objective. It's the central thing that Christ has called us to do, right? is to love. But then the passage gives some practical reason why we should love one another earnestly. And it says something odd, I find. Since love covers a multitude of sins. That's interesting. 
I mean, I think of love, I think of loving actions. And the last thing I thought of when it says, you know, love one another earnestly, and then it says, and why should we do this? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Hmm. Peter clearly realizes that loving one another in community is going to mean forgiving one another to one, <laughs> forgiving one another of a multitude of sins. You get close, get close to people, right? Live in community, you live in community, you see ugliness, you see flesh, you see selfishness, you see, you see the nasties. We know that if you're going to love them, one of the things you're going to have to require you to do is, is to forgive a multitude of sins because there will be a multitude of sins. But I also find it fascinating that immediately following this, he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, if Peter would have simply said, be hospitable to one another, some in the congregation probably would have replied, are you kidding me? Do you realize what Joe and Sally are like? They say mean things. They're rude. They're unthankful. They eat all my chocolates. They're simply a pain to have over. I'll tell you that much. But because he reminded them of what love does that it forgives a multitude of sins, he can move on to then say that they are to show hospitality to one another, and on top of that, without grumbling. He knows what we're like. And so he shows the foundational reason behind showing hospitality. Because this is how we show love, earnestly to one another, And it's one of the ways in showing hospitality, I'll guarantee you, you're going to have to cover a multitude of sins. And by the way, don't grumble about it. Because that's what love does. But you know, I think in order for us to fully understand this, this, what he's saying here, he's saying be hospitable to one another. The question that we have to ask, and it's really a good question, is what does that mean? What does it mean to be hospitable? Because I think we automatically can assume, right? We can just throw our own definitions upon it. We read it. Oh, I, I think, you know, that in our English, when we think of the word hospitality, normally has to do with having people in our homes and feeding them and spending some time with them. That's typically somewhere along those lines is what we think of when I say, what do you hear when you hear hospitality? That's what we think. However, the Greek word that we translate here into English is very fascinating. It has more actually going on than what we, what we think or we realize or how we use it today. But first, this actually, the Greek word is philoxenos. Philoxenos, actually. Philoxenos. It's kind of funny. That sounds like a medication, doesn't it? It's a prescription over-the-counter. The word is a combination of two words which bring out f- this, the full meaning of the word. The first part of this word is phileo. And you probably, maybe you've heard of that word before. And then the second part is this xenos. And, and they've combined these two words together. This first word, phileo, means brotherly love. And brotherly love, and, and think about Greek. Greek has four words for love. And phileo is like the brotherly love. This is where you get the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It, there's, it's different than words, say, like the Greek word for love, eros, which is an erotic kind of sexual kind of love they would use in that reference, romantic. 
And then you've got a word like agape. Everybody's heard of agape, right? It's very common. A lot of people will preach on agape love, which is that, that very committed type of love, the unconditional, active type of love where you minister and serve to others. And that's a very common use of love, the love of charity. In 1 Corinthians 13, that's the love is referring to, the agape style love. The second part of this Greek word is this xenos, which means, interestingly enough, stranger or immigrant. And it's where we get the English word, I'm sure you've all heard of this word, xenophobia. I never had. (laughs) Which, get this, it's the fear of strangers or immigrants. If you, if you went to the English dictionary and you looked up xenophobia, it means the, the fear of strangers or immigrants. In this, word, this Greek word, xenos, uh, which is reference to strangers or immigrants, and phobia, which is a you know, this is fearful phobia, right? Anyway. So when you put this phileo and xenos together, you have the Greek word for hospitality, which literally means showing brotherly love towards strangers or immigrants and usually manifests itself in opening one's home to them. Now, the reason why this hospitality was so important in the Bible times is because culturally it was much different than we are today. You have to understand that in that culture, if people traveled, they often found themselves in a situation where they have nowhere to stay. Why? One, there's not very many inns to stay in. And two, most of them don't have the money to afford it. It's usually the wealthy who would stay at inns, and everybody else was, you're going to stay out under the stars, or you actually have to find someone's house to stay in. So it was very common in those days, if you were to travel, you'd need to find somebody who could put you up for the night. And that person would be showing you hospitality in that regard. So this idea, actually, of showing hospitality like this was actually urged by God from the very beginning. If Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God granted, I uh, sorry, wanted them to treat strangers and foreigners with the kindness and grace that they were first shown in Egypt, and not like what they were shown later on in Egypt when they're treated so harshly. He wanted them to remember what it was like to be a stranger in someone else's land, and out of compassion, treat them how they would want to be treated. One commentator I read said this about biblical hospitality. During his public ministry, Jesus and his disciples depended entirely on the hospitality of others as they ministered from town to town, Matthew 10, 9 through 10. Likewise, the early Christians also depended on and received hospitality from others, Acts 2, 44 through 45 and 28, 7. He went on to say that hospitality was indeed a highly regarded virtue in ancient times, especially for Christian leaders. 
According to Titus 1.8 and 1 Timothy 3.2, these are the qualifications for leadership. They have to be hospitable. The writer of Hebrews reminds us not to forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Hebrews 13.2. Indeed, in the book of Genesis, we read of Abraham's humble and generous display of hospitality to the three strangers. Wealthy and aged, Abraham could have called on one of his many servants to tend to the three unannounced visitors. Yet the hospitable and righteous Abraham generously gave them the best he had. And as it turned out, he had entertained the Lord and two angels. In Genesis 18, 1 through 18. 1 through 8. So here, this is clearly a biblical theme in the very beginning that runs throughout because it is the way to treat others as we would want to be treated. It's, a, it's the expression of love. It's how we love one another, being hospitable. It's also interesting, but by the time we get to 1 Peter, and by the time he's using it in this particular context, he's actually using the word in a slightly broader way, but there's a connection. Peter is telling them to extend love toward one another, and not just strangers and sojourners. That's interesting at this point, because he's saying, who should they be hospitable toward? One another, right? So be hospitable toward one another, not just the strangers and the, for, and the foreigners, but actually one another. Be hospitable toward. And this aspect of it connects more clearly to how we think of hospi- hospitality today. Which brings us to the question, I think, that, I, that remains for us, and that is this. What does hospitality look like today? What does it look like in our context because it's clearly different than the biblical context. And obviously, as we just looked at, it, it doesn't mean only that, okay, unless you're entertaining immigrants and foreigners, that you're not, you're not actually doing hospitality. Is that what it means? No. Wrong, Dean. No. Because you can see from this passage that Peter does use the word in a way that takes it and brings it right in-house and says you should be this way with one another. Open your homes towards one another. Be kind toward one another. Minister to one another and bless one another. Which means this idea of showing brotherly love by opening your home to others obviously goes beyond just strangers. Common sense would necessarily follow that if you do it with strangers, it would also mean that you do it with those who aren't strangers. I mean, usually you have to be exhorted outward, not inward, right? If you're going to do it with strangers, it implies that you're going to do it at home. Because if you're not doing it at home, you're not doing it here, you're not going to do it out there. So to think that you're going to do it out here implies in here. So the word, in principle, has to do with showing love to others, this brotherly love to others, by opening your home impartially. Opening yourself impartially doing things for others impartially. And this is why I had this parable of the Good Samaritan read this morning. Because what he does is show hospitality. It's the heart of hospitality. He didn't look and see, this isn't like, this is a Samaritan and see a Jew and say, ooh, Jew, ooh, I'm out of here. He shows this, Jesus uses this for a reason, to show impartial love. It doesn't matter. It's a person in need. And I don't care if it's someone who hates me and my people, and despises us. I'll do it anyways. 
And, and I'll, I'll show him love. That's being hospitable toward him. That's also interesting. I found at the end of that verse, passage, where Jesus asks him who is the one who is the, one who is, uh, the, the good neighbor who showed love. And he wouldn't say the Samaritan. He said the one who showed compassion. Yeah, nice. He wouldn't even mention them, their names because that's how they felt about them. They disdained them. Why didn't he say that Samaritan? That's who Jesus explicitly referred to in the parable. But here's the idea of it. Showing hospitality even today, it's an attitude of heart where one opens themselves up to not, and doesn't differentiate between, um, these are the people that I like. And these are the people that I belong to. These are the people that I really, you know, I get along with. And so these are the people that I, I show hospitality toward. Now, hospitality is like this is where the idea of stranger and immigrant comes in. This is the idea of the good Samaritan comes in, where you don't show partiality. You're indifferent to the people, and you know that you're opening yourselves up to love, to love even those who are unlovely. You know, the way we would apply this today, I think, is that we don't just have in our homes close family and close friends that we like. And often, here's a good way, this is, this is sometimes a really good expression of hospitality. You know, like at the Thanksgiving dinner, when you have to invite the weird uncle, and you really don't want him there, and you're like, okay, we need to. You call him. No, I'm Eli mailing. <laughs> it's like, and we do it, and we get ready, and we know it's 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 not our favorite, but we do it anyways. But in that particular case, we're doing it because we don't want to offend anybody. But it it's really is kind of expressing what Peter's getting at here. It's it's opening yourself up, opening your home out, and to love the unlovely. And because he also knows, remember, you're going to have to forgive a multitude of sins. And so it's those people in that category that you're, you know, if I was choosing and selecting, I'm going to choose and select those I really like and, and I don't have to do much forgiving with. Um, but even, even with our own family, we can choose and select within the family because within the family, there's those in the family that, yeah, I like having those guys over. I, I don't like having the other ones over. And so, you know, sometimes we can deceive ourselves and we can think, I'm hospitable. We have people all over the time, over all the time. But it's always just my best friends and close family. And so, well, that's not really that's that's not capturing the idea here. That's not what it means to apply it today. It means to have this impartial love where you open up and you serve and you bless and you give this way to to all people and to those those who are around you. We really ought to look around the church and be thinking about who could really use an invite. Perhaps someone's lonely or struggling financially or needing some friendship or really seems like they're on the outside of the fellowship and we really could use a, someone to bring them in. Or perhaps there's a person who everyone seems to forget or leave out often. Or maybe it's the one never, who never, no one ever invites because they aren't the most pleasant person to be around. Maybe it's because they have issues, and you know you'd have to deal with them. You'd probably cover a multitude of sins. But no matter the case, this is something that we have to remember. When we're applying this today, 
This is the way we express love. It's impartial. We love the unlovely as well as those that we love. We reach out. That's the idea of being hospitable. And this is huge. It's very important. It's important to Jesus even. Remember what he said to the crowd in Matthew 25, verse 33 and following. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now hear this. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Showing love to the least is showing love to Jesus. It's the kind of love that Jesus loves. And it is greatly prized in his kingdom. That hospitality kind of love. Opening and giving and blessing and serving and sacrificing and ministering. It's never in vain. It's never in vain. Jesus, at the very end, is looking and delighting in those who practice it. And he's in here, he says, it's, it's, isn't this a fascinating in Matthew 25? The dividing marker between the sheep and the goats is this heart of hospitality. Caring, serving, giving, blessing, helping. Fascinating. This is the spirit of one who is hospitable. It is one who looks out for the needy, one who looks out for, for the outcast, one who looks out for those who are on the fringes, those who are not being brought in, and, and brings them in. It's the heart of God. Now, it might be that you've wanted to be this kind of person. Maybe this is the kind of thing you want to do. You want to be hospitable, but you aren't sure how to get started. Where do I start from here? I've never, never been really hospitable. I've never, anytime I think of it, I, I kind of get ready to throw up. I don't know. So what do I do? What do I do? Well, here I think is how you can get started. First of all, you have to start by determining in your heart to obey the Lord and his commands no matter what. And not allow yourself any kind of excuse because excuses are easy. They're so easy to make. You simply say, Lord, what do I need to do to obey this command? And then you think about the first thing that you need to do in order to obey this command. And perhaps what becomes obvious to you is that you need to get your house in order because, well, it's a total disaster. 
And, you know, I could never have anybody in my house because, well, if they walked in the front door and saw my house, they would probably run away and go in the other direction. It could be. I don't know. It could be sometimes our fears or sometimes our insecurities, sometimes the things that bother us. could be that, you know, my house is so crazy, my house is so chaotic that uh, I would never want anybody to see it. Or if they came over, what if nobody knew what to say? I couldn't imagine that. That would be the worst feeling in the world. There you are, staring at each other. It's all quiet. You have nothing to say. And great. This is real good. Um, never doing that again. Or, you know, whatever. It could be all kinds of reasons why. And here's the thing that always happens. If we don't know what to do, if we have a roadblock or we have some area of our life where we're insecure, we will always at that moment, wherever we're fearful or insecure, create an excuse. Because we have to, right? You have to create an excuse. If you don't, you've got to change. I don't know how to change. I don't want to change. I don't have to change. Because but here's why the Lord understands I don't know how to talk to people he gets it the Lord sees my house there's nobody who wants to be in this house he understands and so whatever it is we use those and those are our excuses and they come quick we're good at them aren't we good what excuse do you have right now you got them they're right here you have them and what they are is they're hiding insecurities. And you know, I have found wherever there is something I need to be doing in my life, and I don't want to do it, there's always this unfo- unspoken fear and insecurity and roadblock that has to be removed in order for me to go and do it. And you know what? I don't seek any counsel about how to deal with it. And because I don't, I seem to perpetually struggle with it. And then I learn to find excuses because it's bothering me. I learn to find things to say to myself because I have a problem that I can't overcome. I have a problem that I know it can't be overcome. At least that's what I tell myself. Because I've thought about it. I've wrestled with it. I couldn't come to any solution. I even Googled it. And after all, Google is my counselor. If you have a problem, what do you do? I Google it. It couldn't help either. And so what do we do? There, another, hey, I tried, Lord. I tried. I know that we're supposed to, what we're supposed to do. I even, I'm fearful. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know what to do. So clearly, clearly there is no uh, need for me to do this. Because if there was, Lord, you would, you would, you would remove that obstacle. But you know what this all boils down to? It boils down to pride. Because our pride and our ego, you know what it doesn't ever want to do? It doesn't ever want to ask for help. Because the very thing that we need is help. We get stuck all the time, don't we? There's things that we just, and, we, and then we tell ourselves, that's just who I am. That's just the way it is. But what we are is stuck. We don't know the way out. And 
And we, we're not going to go to somebody, hey, you know what? I'd really like to be hospitable, but let me tell you some of my fears and insecurities about this. I got some issues, and uh, I don't know how to overcome them. What would I do? Well, who's going to do that, right? I'll tell you who. Somebody who's humble. Somebody who humbly would want to go to somebody and find out how to overcome their issue. Because here's the thing. The person who does that, the person who's humble like that, whenever you humble yourself and you go to others and you seek wisdom and counsel and guidance, look out. Because guess what? You're going to grow. You are going to make progress. That old thing that had you stuck, that thing that had you fearful, that thing that had you bound, that thing that had you not moving forward, well, get ready. It's going away. But you have to be humble. You know the, the way of progress is paved with humility. This is the way of God. You want to grow? You want to move forward? You, you, you want to grow in this hospitality thing? You want to become hospitable? It's going to require humility as you walk forward. Because there's people who can kind of, you just think, oh, I just don't have the gift for that. There's th- th- those guys over there, they, they have people over, they know what they're doing, they, that's their gift, I'll let's, let them have it. Well, let's go back to the passage. It says, show hospitality to one another, and it has nothing to do with gifting. It has to do with the expression, what does it say? Just prior to that, love one another earnestly. Love covers a multitude of sins. And from this, comes out of this, is being hospitable. It's the heart of love that expresses itself. So let me say this. You need people in your life. You need friends. You need someone who can come alongside you and help you. You need someone that you can say to them, could you help me? I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. The saddest thing in the world is if you don't have someone in your life that you can say that to. Because that someone is the one who's going to help you. And you know why? What did we talk about last week? We're called to bear one another's burdens and this, is, and this is the reason why. Jesus made you and he made me weak. He made us dependent. I need you guys and you need me. We need one another. I can't make it alone. Neither can you. So stop trying. Stop trying to be Superman. Stop trying to be the superhero that I talked about at the beginning. Stop trying to be that person because that is wrong. That's the way of the world. The way of Christ is lowly. It's for the humble. It's for those who will ask and for those who don't know and for those who have problems and for those who struggle and for those who need help and for those down low. If that's, what the, that's where the power of Christ, that's where it's found. That's who it's for. The kingdom of God is full of a bunch of people who are weak and needy and they know it. And they have people around them who help them and support them and walk with them and, and, and get them going and moving forward. Then after a while, everybody's amazed at who these people are. Wow, look at, look at the progress. Look at the growth. Look at how godly. Look at how amazing. Look at how strong. Look at, look at this person, right? Do you know why they're like that? Go look at their friends. That's why they're like that. I heard this quote once. It was perfect. He says, probably the most important thing you could ever know about 
people is this. A person is the average of their top five friends. Every one of us. That statement was almost as if that person knew how God ran the world and how he put the church together. You are the average, and it's true, of your top five friends. Because you're not self-made. You are not some superhero. You're weak creature of the flesh who desperately needs good friends. And with good friends, you'll make it. With good friends, you will become very hospitable. Because you need help. You have stumbling blocks. You need guidance. You need support. You need encouragement. You need direction. You need it all. And so do all of us. And so as we, as the people of God, as we go and as we express love to one another, what do we do? We show hospitality without partiality. We look for outcasts. We look for the fringers. We look for the pain, those in pain. We look, we look for people who aren't in the club, so to speak, and we seek to bring them in because that's what Jesus does, and that's what Jesus did with us. Where were you when Jesus found you? I'll be the first to tell you. I was way out on the fringes. But he brought me in. So let's walk forward and humbly seek to love one another in hospitality. And when we do that, when we start living this out, we become a beautiful, beautiful community. Amen. Father, we're so grateful and we're thankful. Thankful that you you show us the way of love. You reveal to us the power of love. You called, you brought us into this love. You've loved us like this. We who are strangers, we who are sojourners, we who are far off, we who are ugly and nasty, you bring us in. You drew us in. You loved us. You're so hospitable. And I just ask that you would make us, your people, like you. In